Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Good Lion Podcast. Brian and I are here. Say hi, Brian. Hey, Brian. Our wives are not here, unfortunately. I know after last episode, you're probably all wondering, where are the wives? Well, they signed a far more lucrative deal than we got. Let's get into the topic of the episode today. We're asking the question, what is spiritual thriving? Brian, what is spiritual thriving? <laughs> that makes it sound like you're setting me up to try to answer it in one sentence. Yeah, that's that's which, what I was hoping for. We're going to do one sentence answer from Brian, and then the feed is just going to abruptly cut off, and that's going to be the episode. Just a nice, quick, like mm-hmm. a bank robbery episode, in and out. Get in, get out. No what fuss. Is, what is spiritual thriving? And then Brian just goes... It's thriving spiritually and then just (laughs) end. That's my answer. It's when you're doing well, but like in a spiritual way. Exactly. I'm not cutting any of this out, by the way. This is is going in. Here's a real intro. So we all want to thrive during quarantine. That's, Mm -hmm. That's the reality. Everybody right now is thinking, I am staying home more. I'm not going out. Therefore, I need to be productive. I need to work on myself. Is that just me or is everybody else feeling that? Well, I can only speak for me. Audience members, feel free to yell at your phones right now. Just yell out your responses to your phones. We won't answer. We can't hear you. But do it. It'll make you feel good. It'll be a nice cathartic way of expressing Mm. all Mm. these different things. I know I feel that. I think once everything kind of went into lockdown, it was really easy to start thinking, well, now I have all this free time. Mm. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. And so everybody started making all these plans for like, I'm going to the big one. I feel like I've seen a lot on Instagram or the big two, I guess I should say. I feel like I've seen a lot of people getting really serious about home workouts. Mm. And being like two weeks into a home workout plan yeah, and already feeling like as a part-time fitness trainer, here's what I want to tell you. (laughs) Oh man, that's so true. Yeah. I feel like doing anything online for two weeks automatically makes people change their, their profile to say professional, whatever. Yeah. Workout trainer. Is that the right phrase for it? I I obviously am not a gym person. Workout trainer. Um, I think gym person is the right phrase. Okay professional gym person. I'm definitely not a gym person, but I have been working out every day. I've been taking walks for at least 20 minutes to an hour each day. So I totally get that. We want to improve ourselves. I know my wife has been trying a lot of new things in the kitchen. She's been baking new things. She's trying to make sourdough from scratch, which is super, super cool. I know there's a lot of that going around right now. That was the second one Mm -hmm. that I was actually going to mention. I have never seen more home-baked bread on Instagram than I've seen in the last two weeks. Have you, do, you, do you know that scene? Have you seen The Wedding Singer? I don't think I have. Or maybe Bits and Pieces. That's the Adam Sandler movie? Yeah, Adam Sandler movie. There's this one character played by John Lovitz, and I just remember he's hiding behind the curtain watching Adam Sandler's character go crazy, and he goes, he's losing his mind, and I'm reaping all the benefits. And that's totally how I feel right now. My <laughs> wife is losing her mind in the kitchen, and I'm just like, yes, more bread. Bring it to me. You're like, I think you do need to try this sourdough again. I don't know if the crust was quite what you wanted it to be. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, there's lots of stuff going around. People are trying to learn how to play instruments. They're trying to pick up their new language they've always wanted to learn. Or, you know, things like starting a YouTube channel or a podcast, which we love. We're a podcast network. We're pro podcast, but everybody's doing it. Everyone is starting one right now. And all these ideas are really good ideas. Like you talked about how you've been working out a lot more. We're podcasting right now at this moment. 
Indeed. I know that my mind has been cycling through all these different ideas of, I should start a book. I should start <laughs> an online preaching series. Yes. I should start yeah. a thousand different things. And pretty much every three days, I have a new idea for this is the person I will become in quarantine. Okay, and then I'm, I just I'm, move on to the next idea. I'm glad it's not just me because I thought I was going crazy. I, I've literally been having to take that stuff to the Lord and, and pray and be like, do, do I need to do this? And most of the time he's like, nope, there is already several people doing that. You don't need to be the next guy doing that. And that's what I think is so interesting about all these ideas. We're seeing them. We're watching everybody else do them. We feel like we need to jump into them. And then we set ourselves up for a day of like, okay, today I'm going to do my normal work from home, which is going to be more difficult because I don't have my coworkers around me. Then I'm going to start a world famous YouTube channel. <laughs> all I've got to do is write my script, record it, edit it, and then promote it all in one day. Yeah. And I'm going to bake some killer sourdough. <laughs> and that's going to be my Thursday. Like it's easy for us time. to just lock into, we feel responsible for all these different things. I was recently at a, a virtual staff meeting with the Bible college mm. and one of the people was saying we shouldn't expect to be more productive in crisis. <laughs> like everybody's been trying to talk about this is our new normal yeah. because we're just trying to feel better through it. Right. And I think it's important to remember this is not normal. Yeah. It's so this weird. isn't a vacation. This isn't you just got handed a bunch of time back. This is you trying to get through a crisis. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I totally get that, though, that desire to feel more productive in the middle of a crisis. Man, I don't know if we've ever talked about our Enneagrams on this show. I think we should do a whole episode about Enneagram stuff at some point. But for me, I'm a two. That's a helper, a giver. That's kind of, you know, the MO of the two is you want to be around people. You want to be helping them. You feel value and worth when you feel like you're directly impacting someone in a positive way. And oh my gosh, not having physical connection with people and being around people mm -hmm. in a real way is driving me crazy. So it's driving me to a place where it's like, I must find ways, new and exciting ways to digitally impact people. And, and then it's kind of like that, that previous episode we did on contentment where we played that video that was explaining how you put all this work into something and then you put it out online and two people react to it. Like just last night, I wrote a Facebook post that was uh, a prayer for COVID-19. And I was thinking this is going to reach and help so many people. And I think that night when I put it out, like two people hit the like button. And I was just like, that was, that was two hours worth of work. <laughs> Why do I suck so bad? So this is happening across all kinds of creative areas. It's not just this me. Is it's, happening. it's like everybody. It's not just you. It's happening with so many different people in so many different domains. And one of the domains where this is happening is in the realm of spiritual growth. Mm. So many pastors, I feel, have taken to their online channels and have reached out to their congregations to say, we want to be a stronger, better, healthier group of Christians Yeah. by the time all this is done. Have you... Which, which is true. Great goal. I hope that that's the case. Have you heard uh, or have you picked up at all on John Mark Comer at his church? He has put out on the Bridgetown podcast kind of a 
a rule of life for his church, where it's basically in quarantine, this is the kind of people we want to become. Have you seen that at all? I haven't, no. Yeah, it's it's totally what you're saying, though, that idea of, okay, we're in this unique situation, so this is the direction we want to go. And I totally feel that. Like I was talking with Kellen Criswell, the director over at CGN at our staff meeting, and he brought that up as well, how so many churches are basically trying to push to their congregation this idea of because we're in this situation, we need to develop like a personal family liturgy for the quarantine age. So, yeah, I I totally resonate with what you're saying. Which the goal of all those things, to be totally clear, is a really good goal. Yeah. This episode is not going to be about... Everybody's telling you to grow in quarantine. <laughs> nah, How like that's they? not that's not what we're aiming for. We should regress. Yeah, we. <laughs> now is the time to backslide. <laughs> I hope when this is over, you're a worse person than you are today. A worse person, a worse Christian, and a worse friend. <laughs> Good lion. And we just end the episode right there. The problem, obviously, is not that we want to grow. The problem, to come back kind of to our main question, is many times our definition of what counts as spiritual thriving is really off. Yeah, so, I feel like it's, it's this idea of we feel responsible for a million projects with no realistic time to get them done. And we think if we get them done, then we're thriving. But then we're constantly like, I'm not getting anything done the way I want it to be done. At least that's where I'm at. Absolutely. I know for me, self-improvement always comes with this idea of something that I have to do. Mm. It's some new habit that I'm adding to my routine. I know multiple times I have gone through these cycles where I feel like I'm a better employee and friend if I'm reading more often, not even just reading more scripture, but just reading books generally. Yeah. So thriving or self-improvement becomes I need to add this habit to my routine or it becomes some new organizational system that I implement. You know, you read do more better and you start taking that system and trying to bring it into your life where it's some new structure that you create for yourself. Whenever we think of growing spiritually, we always think of some kind of action we need to add. Yeah, like for me on a personal level, I know what I used to think spiritual thriving meant was somebody who's thriving spiritually was somebody who did a ton for God's kingdom. Like I thought, Mm -hmm. I thought the goal was you get saved as a Christian. And then the goal is that eventually you're going to progress to a point where you're so full of the spirit and you're so thriving that you are just participating and involved in all of the Christian activities. Like does your church have a million different activities, which if you attend a Calvary Chapel, it probably does uh, mm-hmm. statistically. Then you should Based be involved. Based on a very scientific study, <laughs> you should be involved in all of those activities. Like I, I used to think, the the way I used to uh, view spiritual thriving was somebody was doing all this stuff for God's kingdom, and obviously they are thriving, and, and that was the goal. If you follow Jesus, that means you're going to be volunteering for church programs, going on missions trips, leading Bible studies, evangelizing and converting people. I mean, that, that was my view of spiritual thriving. It, it was this constant pouring out. But, but what I failed to realize was that spiritual thriving actually starts from within. It's like a, it's a filling up before pouring out. Like it's not, it's not bad to be doing any of those things, but it's kind of like this analogy where if, if we are spending 100% of our time pouring out, but then, you know, 1%, 5%, 10% of our time getting filled up or less, 
we're not really thriving. We're actually just doing a lot of things, a lot of good things, but we're really burning ourselves out. And and I've experienced that. There's been seasons in my life in ministry where I have felt burnt out. I mean, does that resonate with you? Have you felt that way at times? Absolutely, it does. Over this last winter break, as a Bible college staff, we read through the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I think we've mm. talked about that a little bit on the I podcast. I still need to read it. It's next on my list. It's an amazing book. Mm. And it was a really encouraging read. I really, really enjoyed going through it with the other staff members, going through it with my wife, finding these different things that could change based on that book. One of the things that was super discouraging as I was reading the book is I happened to be reading it and this is going to sound bad at first. I happened to be reading it with a good friend of mine named Andy Dean, (laughs) former director of the Bible college, now an associate pastor at a church here in Southern California, the Dean of the college. And you know, what's really great about that joke. He's never heard that before. (laughs) He's never heard it. Never. This episode is going to be the first time that he's heard that joke. What can I say? I'm a comical genius. I come up with things that no one's ever said before. Who's on first? (laughs) Are you really going to steal Abbott and Costello in the middle of an episode? Who are they? Keep going. Move on. I'm going to keep going. Move on. I'm reading this with Andy and I love Andy. He's been a huge spiritual influence in my life. He is the absolute application master. (laughs) If you have ever listened to one of his sermons where a lot of pastors will begin winding down their sermon and get to the point of here is one way you can apply this message. He is brilliant at ending sermons with here are seven ways you can apply this message. And he's never doing it with like a, you have to do all these things or you're not spiritual. Like he's never, I've never felt guilty, like listening to the way that he applies stuff. But as we were going through this book together, which mind you, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a book that's all about finding rest for your soul, slowing down, Mm. doing less, Mm. not comparing yourself. As we're reading that book and Andy is coming up with all of these different application points, I'm now finding myself doing the opposite of what the book is saying. And I'm looking (laughs) at all of his applications and I'm thinking, oh man, I got to do all those things. Otherwise, I'm not getting anything out of this book. I must become the ultimate rester. Exactly. Like it was such a confusing middle ground to try to live within. I must devote all of my extra time and effort to ruthlessly eliminating my hurry, and I must hurry to do so. Exactly. It was such a (laughs) weird way of going through that book. And what I started realizing was my view of spiritual thriving was unless you could write a goal that you could then say you accomplished you weren't thriving. Mm. So Andy is just really good at building out those concrete steps. But growth in Christ isn't always concrete steps that make sense to somebody else. Mm. Yeah, It's not just finding somebody else's structure of living or worse yet, finding what that person might be individually called to and then saying, well, I guess I've got to do it just the way that they do. You may be trying to live out somebody else's calling instead of finding an ability to slow down and find real inward spiritual thriving, not just look at this checklist that I accomplished. Mm. Yeah, I feel personally attacked right now, honestly, with all this. Because, yeah, again, the way that I grew up thinking about this was, 
I mean, it's 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 Jesus saying, if if you're growing, you're going to produce fruit. So it's this idea of like, well, I need to collect as much fruit as I can and have a lot of fruit to show. I think what was happening was I was missing the step of the tree needing to be rooted and getting the nutrients from the soil so that it can produce fruit. And it was just like, I need to really try hard to make this Mm -hmm. fruit happen, which is not how trees work. Like you never see a tree like trying to squeeze out fruit with effort. It It happens naturally. It's like it's an organic, it's literally an organic process. But in my mind, it it was effort. It was, I need to make this happen. Yeah, we look at the fruit being produced as that's what thriving means instead of that is the byproduct of thriving. Because thriving is that the root system is tapping into the right set of nutrients. That's good. You're preaching to my soul right now, dude. I'm glad I could help. To me, there's two real dangers from this kind of thinking about spiritual thriving, thinking that it's the set of actions that I need to accomplish. One danger is that we start feeling like spiritual thriving is something I'm just one action away from. Mm. Like I must just be one command short. Mm. Like it reminds me of the moment in Matthew 19. It's normally known as Jesus's encounter with the rich young ruler. And that ruler comes to him and says, I'll just read the verse in Matthew 19, verse 16. All right. It says, "A, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, shove your face through a needle. That does come later. Yeah, sort of. I mean, if you're a, if maybe he had a camel face. <laughs> now, to me, the interesting thing about this particular question is that he thinks that eternal life is something that he's one good thing away from doing. Like he's done all the right things, but he's missing that secret ingredient. So he's like, hey, I, I've done it all. I've kept all the commandments. I'm a good guy. But what what's the one thing I'm missing? Right. Like he's that's even that, the final yeah, step. Exactly. That's where the conversation goes. Jesus mm-hmm. points him to all these Old Testament commandments. And this young guy says, I've done all these things since I was a kid. What do I still lack? Right. And to me, that question has always been so interesting because he's looking at himself saying, I've done all the steps. When he says, what do I still lack? That almost comes across to me as, why do I still feel empty? I feel like that's a total reflection of the human experience because literally in every experience of my life, when I take Jesus out of it and I'm just focusing on, okay, here is a goal I am working towards and putting a bunch of effort to. I have achieved that goal. I have reached it. There's still this feeling of, well, what's next? Like I've never, I don't think I've Mm -hmm. ever in my life hit a point or a milestone and thought, okay, I can just relax now and not try anymore. It's always been like, okay, this was cool, but something still feels empty in me. And I mean, hopefully that's not just me or else I'm going to feel super bummed right now. Uh, No, I I think Romans says that that's all of us. In mm -hmm. Romans 8, when it talks about how the mind, when it's set on the flesh, it leads to death. I think that could be talking about sin and the way that the Bible often uses the word flesh as a stand-in for earthly sinful tendencies. Mm. But I think part of that is when we're focused completely on what we are doing, on what we are accomplishing, Mm. that's a mindset that doesn't create more life when you accomplish. It only traps you in this cycle of death. Like you're saying of, I have accomplished something 
I don't feel like I hit the goal. I need to go accomplish another thing. But then you won't feel like you hit it then. And you're just going to get trapped in this cycle of working Mm. yourself into the ground. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I've been there for sure. I've seen this so much in the youth that I've pastored. Man, I remember there's this one kid who was just kind of like the poster child of the good typical Christian kid, you know, worship leader and just Mm -hmm. always doing the right thing, always, you know, in in school and academics and in sports and everything, just constantly doing all of the right things and achieving high levels of achievement in church, in school and, and just out in the world. And man, so just I mean, like Mr. All-American. Yeah. And, and then just crushing and, it and everything. And I remember they were talking to me one night and they were just like, yeah, like I just feel so empty. Like I feel like no matter what I do, it's not enough. Like there's this perfectionist streak in me and I'm trying so hard, but it never feels like enough. It's kind of like, have you ever seen The Greatest Showman? I haven't. My wife really wants me to watch that with her. Oh, dude. Watch it during quarantine. It's like the perfect. Yeah. Uh, it's, do you like musicals? Not really. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this recording right now and never talk to you again. This is the end of the Good Lion podcast. <laughs> we had a end. great run, everybody. Figure out spiritual thriving on your own. I'm going to start singing a show tune every episode just to annoy Brian. But there's going to work. <laughs> there's this song uh, called Never Enough. And it's this I know actress. that one. Yeah, there, it's this actress on the stage and she's singing. All the shine of a thousand spotlights. All the stars we steal from Never enough, no matter what I do, I will always want bigger and better and more accomplishments and more achievements in my life. And so I think, honestly, from what I've seen in my own life, this kind of mentality of it's never enough, it's like it's the enemy of thriving in my life. It's the opposite of thriving. Exactly. It traps you in a cycle of non-thriving. It traps you in a cycle of death. So that's the first real danger. We can feel like we're one action away from thriving when that's not really how we get there. Mm. The second thing that this, I just got to do the right things and then I'll thrive, is we start thinking that spiritual thriving can happen really quickly. Mm. So there are so many quick fix plans we see in the world. Like whenever you're scrolling through Instagram, I've started seeing now these workout plans of like the 30-day ab plan, the 30-day like arms and back workout plan or whatever. I know they're just focused on these different things, but they're subtly trying to tell you like, hey, want a six-pack by May? (laughs) We got you. Oh, dude. I mean, I feel this as somebody who has struggled with his weight his entire life. And I feel like it's really unfair. Like when, when I look at how much I eat compared to, I know guys who are rail thin and they eat twice as much as me. It's frustrating. So I definitely want that quick fix. And I've worked out every day since this whole quarantine thing happened. And, you know, I, I, I lost 10 pounds, which I felt really good about. And then I woke up one day and then it was 12 pounds. And I was like, yes, it, this is great. I'm continuing the progression. And then the next day after that, I had gained those two pounds back somehow and 
and I've just been stuck for almost a week at the 10 pound mark. And I, I have been so frustrated because I'm counting my calories, <laughs> I'm exercising, and it's like, I should be losing a pound a day. This is ridiculous. Like, why is this not working? Exactly. We all want that quick movement towards being done. So I like, know can one I, of the Can re- I just go on a missions trip and come back and be just Jesus? You know, isn't that how it works? <laughs> I want to come back as Jesus <laughs> or just, you know, at that level. Right. That's what we want. That's I mean, if you really if you really think about what we want as Christians, that's what we want. We want to go to a conference or a missions trip and come back and just be spiritually enlightened. And that becomes the real issue. We start putting in good spiritual habits into our lives and then we wonder why we don't feel different by day eight. <laughs> and then we wonder if the whole experiment was worth it. So I've seen multiple times as I've led all kinds of different student ministry events, students where they'll get really encouraged about reading their Bible. They become fully convinced. They're like, this is a good thing for me. This is going to lead to deeper growth in Christ. Right. I am all in on Bible reading. And they read every day for a week and they get to the end of that week and I'm talking with them and they're like, Hey, I read every day this week. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like you haven't had one of those kinds of weeks in a while. Like that's awesome that you're getting more time spent in the word. And they're like, yeah, but I just don't feel different. And Mm -hmm. it's like, did you think that all the change that you needed to go from broken, sinful version of you to fully like matched up with God version of you. Like, did you really think that was a seven day plan? (laughs) Well, I mean, he made the world in seven days. So can't he make me perfect in seven days? I mean, can he? Sure. But you're still you. It's not the normal way of doing things. Yeah. It's, it's, we've talked about this before, but it's the, uh, it's the slow cooker mentality versus the, uh, the microwave. Like, can it, can it be that God actually wants to take our entire life to develop us? I is think that it, the truth? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. I think that makes a lot more sense than I'm going to be better by the end of the week. You know, one of the things that I normally talk mm. about when I'm sharing with students about how long growth takes is I think really like the shortest increment you can really look at and expect I should be at least a little bit better than I was this long ago is like three to six months. Hmm. Like six months is normally my standard increment of how far back I want to look to see if my habits are leading me in the right direction or the wrong direction. Here's, here's an interesting hypothetical for you. So how long have you and your wife been together now? It'll, we'll be married five years this month. And then we dated for like about a year before that. Would you say that, would you say that you are like so many more times closer to her now than when you guys first started dating? Absolutely. And it's because of all the shared experiences you've been through, like the highs and the lows, the good times, the bad times, all that stuff culminating together, right? Yeah, absolutely. So if you could if you could go back in time and trade all of the experiences you've been through so they never happened, but instead you're just that much closer on the day of your wedding, like would you do that? I mean, there's a part of me that would say just having the result of closeness would be better, but that would be a very confusing closeness. Yeah. Like, I feel like I would look at this and be like, this is irrational and this is fake. Like it doesn't feel earned and it doesn't feel like it's based on anything. Yeah. And I feel like that's maybe what God is doing. Like he could just flip a switch in our hearts and cause us to be as close to him. 
as he would want us to be, but maybe he actually enjoys being in the thick of it with us through the highs and lows. Like maybe it's not just about developing our character. It's about developing our relationship with him. Like how can we actually learn to trust God if he doesn't allow us to go through things that require us to trust? That's really good. I like that image a Thanks. lot for it because it, it it is just what you're saying. It's so much more than the goal that you achieve. Hmm. Like when I look at the relationship that I have with Tori, it's not just about here's where we are today. It's about looking back and celebrating all the stuff that got us to today. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's really cool. I like that image. So to this point, we've talked a lot about what spiritual thriving is not. Now I think it's worth jumping in and examining what spiritual thriving is. Sounds good. And I want to start in a place that might be a little unconventional for where we normally think this conversation is going. Normally, when we think of self-improvement, let's just use Mm -hmm. that term for a moment. When we think of self-improvement or improvement of any kind, improving something implies that that thing has a goal. Okay. That there's something that thing should accomplish. So when I think about the word improvement, I naturally go to the 90s TV show Home Improvement. Tim <laughs> Allen, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. There we go. Loved that show as a kid. Tool like that's time. just Exactly. Tim the Toolman Taylor. I there have a go. cousin who's named Tim Taylor. I thought you were going to say I have a cousin named Tim the Toolman Taylor. Well, we always call him the Toolman. Mm, affectionately but, named. But that's not like his actual middle name. But you're, So you're talking about this idea of adding something to improve it. Like it requires more effort, more work, right? Well, it's more than just that there's effort to improve it. It's that improving something isn't just that you did stuff to it. It's that you moved it closer to its goal. Yeah, so when we think about, goal. Okay. Yeah. So when we think about home improvements... The goal is that the house is more livable yeah, and that you enjoy being in it more, that it's better for hosting, that it's a more relaxing place for you to come back to at the end of a work day. Yeah. It's not just like, I built a wall. I've improved my home. It's like, well, if you built a wall in the middle of the living room, you didn't necessarily improve it. You might have made it worse, even though you put a bunch of activity into it. Yes. And that's the goal of so many shows that my wife enjoys. It's, you know, taking this house that is terrible and then you feel really good, even as the audience watching that goal of now this house is perfect and beautiful and amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Think about even a song. Hmm. When you're working on a song, it can get really easy to think the way we improve this song is we add more pieces to it. Yeah. But sometimes a song can get so cluttered that all of the pieces you've added, they actually start taking away from its beauty. And that's when you start seeing the goal of a piece of music is to create a certain feeling within you, not just to be as noise driven as possible. Like some of my favorite music is by the group Sleeping at Last. Oh, and so, good. so, so much of his stuff is so simple. Yeah. It can be just a piano with a little bit of strings and it's enough to give you the feeling that he's going for. It, but if you add hitting a its saxophone goal. and a tuba and a trumpet, I hate horn sections, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but if you add, you know, a horn section and then, you know, some guy just going through crazy drum solos the entire song. Yeah, it's more, but is it better? Probably not. Exactly. The whole idea Mm. is that improvement is moving you closer to a goal. Mm. 
So the question we need to ask is what is the real goal of humanity? Mm. Like, why are we here? What is our purpose? Exactly. What did God really want out of us? What was his real intention in making us? And it's important to see God has created things with a way that they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I want to look at Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. This is okay. as God is speaking to create humanity. Here's what he says as he makes humans. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So in those two verses... We're seeing two of God's intentions as he's actually creating. Mm. The first thing we're seeing is that man is made in the image. And then there's a little clarification in the likeness of God. Right. I I always saw the word image there. And I would think to myself when I was younger, does my face look like God's face? And I got like really excited that I was like, maybe like the way that you have family resemblance of like, you look like your parents. I was like, maybe in some way I look like God. And I got like really excited about that idea. And just, you just started looking in the mirror and worshiping. (laughs) Look, if, if, if I look like him, how am I supposed to help that? So this idea of being in the image of God is much less about a physical appearance or anything along those lines. It's much more about displaying his character, Mm, living in line with who he is. Yeah. And right there in the verse, it says, so that they may rule. And that's really right away some huge characteristic of God. He is a ruler. He rules the cosmos. He rules everything. And one of the first things he gives us as humans is to rule, right? Yeah. And that's that second intention that not only are we to share in his character, we're also to share in his activity. Mm. And when we think about what it means for God to rule over the land, like I don't think that we should have this image of God shouting at fish in the sea, like, get over there. Like, he's not doing that kind of stuff. Is that Mortal Kombat right there? Get over here. Get over here. Get over here. So God ruling over all these different things isn't just shouting and commanding. It's creating the most inhabitable land for them possible. Mm. God Mm. cultivates an atmosphere for growth and for life. Mm. And we're meant to be part of that atmosphere creation, so to speak. Brian, isn't this concept something that in ancient Jewish thinking was called shalom? Yes. And that's something that I think is going to make this conversation a little bit easier to go through. So there's a great Mm. book on sin by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga. Okay. And the first chapter of his book, all he really does is define this thinking about what shalom is. So he Mm. says this in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, Mm. a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Mm, Dude, I love that. That just gives me a really exciting picture. Like, okay, 
So my views on heaven have developed and progressed mm-hmm. a bit where, you know, when I was younger, I thought of a fluffy cloud land and then eventually it kind of morphed into this idea of like a disembodied spirit realm where we're all kind of, you know, floating through these streets of gold in the sky. But my understanding of heaven now is that it's it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where we live, right? It's going to be basically mm-hmm. going back to the idea of what Eden was supposed to be where it's humans and God sharing the same space together. And so in a space like that, the way I'm envisioning heaven is the way that God has made us, our gifts are going to be used in heaven. You know, musicians are probably still going to be writing songs and singing in heaven. Bakers Mm -hmm. are probably still going to be baking in heaven, but it's going to be for a completely different motivation. A lot of times the work that we do now is it's, it's hard, it's laborious, and it's motivated by money. And it's like, I need to do this or I will die or, and I can't eat. But I'm picturing Shalom as this place where everyone is just enjoying themselves. Like a songwriter is writing a song just for the pure joy of sharing it with others. Someone is baking bread just for the the pure joy of sharing that beautifully baked bread with others. People are using their gifts and their talents in a way that comes from not trying to earn anything, not trying to get anything from anyone, not trying to get social status or credibility or rise up the food chain. It's just everyone is just doing things to enjoy themselves, to enjoy one another and to enjoy God. I mean, does that that completely lines up with what I'm Mm. thinking about this? And I think to even add another layer to it. So not only will there be that internal pure motivation in all the stuff that we're doing, so much of our work right now gets undone by sinful tendencies in ourselves and in others. Mm. And that won't be something we need to worry about. So Mm. I wonder how much collaboration gets stopped because people are afraid of other people stealing their ideas. Yeah. In heaven, you won't need to worry about intellectual property theft because (laughs) there's going to be such a pure motive in everyone you're going to be able to freely share. Here's a half-baked idea that I have and no one else is going to look at it and say, I know how to end that idea. So I'm going to keep it for myself. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And also the, the pure purity and joy of doing something for God alone and not caring about like whether or not it's going to reach a huge audience and therefore um, bring you a lot of revenue or appreciation mm-hmm. I mean, you're, if I can ask you a personal question, like, you know, you, you, you have aspirations. I would say I do too, but you more so have aspirations to write a book, right? Mm-hmm. If you knew for a fact only one person was going to read it, like, would you still write it? Mm. I probably wouldn't. I'm just being no, honest. I wouldn't. Yeah. But I'd be really sad. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be really sad too. And that's that human motivation of like, if I'm going to put a lot of hard work into something, there's got to be some benefits to it. It's not like totally selfish, but it's just like, you know, the, the investment, it has, it has to be a good return on investment, right? That's Mm -hmm. kind of what we think no matter what we do. But, you know, I picture Shalom, this peacefulness of, I I can do something and it's worship. And if, if the only person who sees it is Jesus, it's still worth it. Kind of like in the other episode of contentment, we talked about David writing those Psalms, you know, he's writing those poems to God. He doesn't know that they're going to be used by tons and tons of people throughout worship services and songs mm-hmm. written about it for the rest of you know eternity he, he had no idea i think so that's yeah, a absolutely. that's a level of shalom i want to reach you know but it's so hard yeah and it's so different 
from what we normally think of as spiritual thriving. Mm. This idea of shalom, like you're saying, feels a lot more every day than Mm. what I normally think spiritual thriving is. I normally think that to reach spiritual thriving, it's going to be a pause in my everyday activities so that Mm. I can go away to pray or so that I can go away to read my Bible or listen to a good sermon or it's something that interrupts my normal state of affairs. But even in that, going back to what we were talking about with the return on investment, do you ever have times where you read your Bible, you know, you do that morning devotion with Jesus and in your mind, part of you is like, I want to do this to connect with Jesus. But then the other part is like, I want the return on investment. If I'm spending time with Jesus, I need to walk away from this feeling good. I better get something from this. Yeah. I better walk away with some insight or some quote or just some Mm -hmm. revelation. And then sometimes you just read a chapter or whatever. And you're like, that was a chapter of the Bible right there. (laughs) Or even sometimes, so sometimes for me, the opposite happens where Mm -hmm. if I'm doing just my normal daily reading, it's pretty easy for me to think this is for me. Yeah. And then there are moments where something stands out and those things become teachings. Mm. So then I can go into devos thinking if I don't get a teaching out of this, did God really say anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dude, I'll be honest. This is something that plagues me where whether I'm reading a book or listening to a sermon or watching a Bible project video or whatever, listening to a podcast, there is always a part of me that is like on high alert where I'm like, I need to walk away from this with something I can use in my Mm -hmm. own podcast or my own sermon or my own Facebook post. And sometimes it's hard to just sit and exist and receive. Sometimes it feels like I'm constantly just trying to store up things that I can use for God's kingdom later on. I don't think it's totally bad, but part of me thinks it is kind of bad to, to not be able to just sit and receive at times, but feel like you always need to be giving back something. And that's exactly where this conversation heads. So we have this grand idea of shalom is we're using the gifts that we have for the good and benefits of others. We're doing these things just to enjoy other people We're doing these different activities because we love God and because God loves us and because we're with him. And part of what makes this idea of shalom sound so great is because we live in a world where we see sin disrupting shalom all the time. Yeah. Both in the world out there and in the deep recesses of who we are. One of the most basic definitions of shalom is just peace. And we see sin disrupting peace all the time from the the micro level where there's peace in your home, but then you get into a fight with your wife or your kids or whatever. And all of a sudden the shalom, the peace is disrupted. And now everybody just feels terrible in the house. And then on the macro level, you know, as uh, scale back as far as with war, war disrupts peace. That's just basic Math. War and peace are generally opposites. War and peace are generally opposites. And so war comes in and a nation, a town, whatever, the shalom is totally torn apart and everyone feels terrible. Everyone feels afraid. Right now, we're living in a moment mm-hmm. where a virus is causing us to feel the opposite of shalom on a daily basis. It's like we have to fight for that feeling if we want to feel it. Otherwise, we're just going to give in to the disruption. And even for a lot of people, one of the phrases that I've started hearing a fair amount is that people feel 
emotionally disoriented. Mm. And it's not that they can point at any one thing and say, this is the problem or this is the wrong thing. It's that instead they just feel the lack Mm. of the kind of enduring peace that life with God is supposed to bring. Mm. And we know that when we talk about this from the grand level, it's really easy to say other people are the problem. Other people disrupt my shalom. But we know that we're contributors to this problem as well. It's not just an evil out there. It's an evil right here. Mm. Do you feel like a, a big problem with it is that we aren't creating and cultivating in our own hearts an environment where shalom can live? Absolutely. I think we're really good at making things about us experiencing shalom and not about contributing to the shalom of other people of Mm. just the world needs to be set up for me to have what I want for me to feel like this deep inner peace is there. But part of what is going to create that deep inner peace within is looking to be a contributor of it in the world in general. But I think, I think my only pushback on that thing that you just said would be, well, okay, here's a quote from, I'm reading a book right now called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Mm-hmm. So Pete Scazzaro says, can we really love our neighbors well without loving ourselves? And I think what he means with that is not, if you want to love your neighbor, like you got to put yourself in a position where you have no stress, no anxiety, no worries. So first focus on getting rich and getting successful and step over whoever you need to. And then once you get rich and successful and powerful, then you can love everybody else. That's not what he's saying. I think what Mm -hmm. he's talking about is we need to be connected to that power source of Jesus and have this environment in our heart of self-love, which doesn't mean it's not the world's view of self-love where it's this prideful, arrogant, I can do whatever I want. I can be whoever I am. Um, But it's more this idea of Jesus loves me and he wants me to take care of myself mentally, physically, and spiritually. So that, which really just means coming to him and getting filled up. It's that simple idea of like we talked about last time, that Chuck Smith quote, putting yourself underneath that spout where the blessings flow out. It's just being with Jesus, spending time with him, sitting at his feet. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there because so much of what Jesus talks about as the righteousness he wants us to have, like we talked about in the Righteousness miniseries, is about right relationship with him. If it begins with I've got to do all of this stuff to experience peace. It misses the point. It's all beginning from if I'm just right with God, if I'm showing him the ugliness within me so that he can fix it, Mm. as he works on one part of us, we watch that change all the parts of us. Mm. Like when, when we first started studying for this particular episode, the word that was really tripping me up was spiritual thriving. Because Mm. as I kept searching scripture for like, what's an example of spiritual thriving? The Bible doesn't really have that example. The Bible just has examples of whole people thriving. Mm. There's only the example of whole person righteousness. Like God doesn't really seem to work on us in ways where, yeah, you're thriving in that area, but you're a complete mess and you're totally sinful and messed up in that other area. It doesn't really seem to work like that. He wants to work on the whole person. So yeah, Yeah. we have to start with that. Where are the broken spots within me and how do I find wholeness with him from that? 
Yeah, that's really good. Like the, the picture that's coming to my mind right now is it's this picture of we all want peace, but we feel like we need to do something to earn it. Like if I mm-hmm. do this, then I will get peace. But the reality is peace is a free gift that is freely, constantly available to us. And if we receive it, then everything else falls into place. Like even just in my mind, this is an analogy that's just popping up is like you and I, we work for money. Like, and that is a motivator because we can't live without it. And so there's a lot of things you and I probably would be doing differently with our lives if we didn't have to worry about money. We'd probably give a lot more attention to this podcast and other things with the network, but mm-hmm. we, we can't constantly be doing that because we have to work for money. We have to do other things that pay our bills. But can you imagine how different it would be if someone was just like, hey, there is this room you can go to anytime. It has unlimited money. Take what you need anytime, whatever you need it for, no questions asked, and then go do whatever work you want to do. Like what what kind of paradigm shift would that be for you? Oh goodness, it would change so many different things. I mean, for yeah. anybody, it would change so many different things. But that's what, that's what the piece available is. There's a storehouse of it and Jesus is like, come to me anytime you need it. But I'm still just like, oh, I've got to earn it. You know? Yeah, that's the real problem. We know that peace is really available, but we try to work it out ourselves. And then that leads us to being disruptors of shalom for ourselves and for other people. Yeah. I just want to say really quick to the audience listening, I hope I hope you're catching by now that a lot of these conversations are not Brian and I saying, we are experts on this topic. Therefore, let us school the podcast listeners on this topic. This is like two friends having a conversation we need to have and just letting everyone else listen in. <laughs> like, Yeah, we, we talk about the stuff we need to learn. I am am being shaped by this right now as Mm -hmm. we're talking about it. You know, to get even more real, can I just share a story of how I was a horrible person? Is that okay? I would love that story. All right. So the other day I was a jerk. I'll just start with that. Here's the thing. Uh, Overworking yourself can lead to a lot of terrible things in your heart because you get so stressed. You think everything depends on you and you think that if you don't work extra hard, then all the things that you want to accomplish won't get done. And so this was me just the other week. I was walking around my neighborhood. This was Saturday, uh, last Saturday. And I was, I was coming off of a very, very long work week. I think it was like, uh, you know, close to 60 hours of work. I was just going constantly. Most ministry people have been in this place since the COVID-19 situation, we've we've just been constantly pouring out, trying to help and do what we can. But I just had been sensing that I needed time to walk and pray and connect with Jesus and work less. And and so I did. On Saturday, I was like, okay, this next week coming up, I'm going to try really hard not to overwork myself. I'm going to try to take a walk every day and just spend time with Jesus. So this was my first time doing this. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm walking around, I'm praying, I'm still feeling stressed. And then I, my phone rings and uh, my, my buddy, it was actually Alan Kahn, who he wanted to talk about uh, a live stream he was going to do right then. And he wanted me to jump on with him. And I shouldn't have even taken the call because I'm, I'm on it. I'm walking, I'm praying, but I saw my ministry friend pop up on the phone and I thought, oh, this could be something cool. This could be an opportunity. So I pick up the phone, which was mistake number one. And we're on the phone and we're trying to work stuff out. And I'm very focused on the phone call. And suddenly the neighbor's dog runs up to me and just jumps up. It's a big dog, gets in my face and starts barking at me. 
and I absolutely lost it. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> this has not happened to me in years, but I like snapped like a light switch flipped on my head and I became so angry because I'm out there trying to enjoy this walk and the dog comes up and starts barking at me. And, and I, I look up and I see this old lady who's the owner of the dog and she's out there with these four little kids, either her kids or grandkids. And without thinking, I yelled at her. I was like, hey, keep your dog on a leash, lady. And then I, I stormed off. <laughs> Did you really and, say lady at the end of the sentence? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I have never, I don't think I've ever yelled at anyone in my life. Alan was still on the phone and he was laughing at me. Um, <laughs> and once I cooled down, I realized like, oh my gosh, I was, I was just ashamed. I was mortified. I, I realized I was such a jerk in that moment. Like that poor lady and her kids just saw me blow up at them. I mean, I kind of pride myself on not having a short fuse. I have a very long fuse. I'm, I consider myself patient. Mm -hmm. I don't get angry at people hard, hardly ever. And if I do, I don't show it. But that moment to me revealed to me that underneath the surface of my kind of cool tempered demeanor, there's definitely another side of me that can come out if my soul is not attended to. And, mm -hmm. and, and so in that moment, like I was reacting, it was all of the stress, all of the anxiety, all of the overworking and discontentment had boiled to the surface. And man, I just, I was very ashamed in that moment. Wow. That's a crazy story. <laughs> I like, I like in your phrasing of it though, a lot of people probably have stories like that. I know that I certainly do. It and makes me feel a little better. Yeah. I know that I definitely have stories that are like this. But a lot of times when I'm processing those moments afterwards, I say that the stress made me do it or mm. the circumstances are responsible for the problem. And you jumped the level deeper and said that beneath the cool demeanor, there's another side if your soul is not being carefully attended to. Yeah, it's the shadow and, side. And that's what we all need to see about ourselves. It's easy when... We have those moments where we snap or when we lose it or when we're not as loving and patient as we need to be. We just say, oh, well, I'm good at this, but this situation is what made this happen. Instead, mm. we need to see it like you're seeing it as a window into, wow, I didn't know that part of me was there, but it totally is. The dark side of the soul. And it's terrifying because it just makes me realize what kind of person I would be without Jesus. Like I have the benefit of just like you growing up in a Christian home. I've had Jesus as a part of my life, my entire life. I'm not someone who, you know, had some horrible dark past and then got saved. And so I have this past to look at and go, Oh, the old me. Mm -hmm. But instead what I get is glimpses of this is the kind of person you would be without, without Christ in your life. You know, I was listening on that walk to that Pete Scazzaro book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader. So mm -hmm. right after I'm feeling shame, you know, from that situation of yelling at that lady, I'm reading things like, here's a quote, the emotionally unhealthy leader is someone who operates in a continuous state of emotional and spiritual deficit, lacking emotional maturity and a being with God sufficient to sustain their doing for God. And that just killed me because mm -hmm. I... I've realized that I so enjoy doing things for God that sometimes my being with God is just sort of like a stop at the gas station where that's the mentality of like, man, I've been doing so much and pouring just need out a like, little I, bit for the day. I guess I better go get filled up. And that is not how my relationship with my wife works. My mm -hmm. relationship with my wife is this is my friend and I want to spend time with them because I love them. 
and just more and more God is pointing out this flaw in me where he's like, hey, I appreciate that you're getting filled up so that you can serve. I love that. That's great. But like, can we just hang out? Can we just be together? Mm. Can we? J- and, and maybe that's the key to spiritual thriving is this contentment in Christ where we are coming to him purely because of him and no ulterior motive. And I'll be honest, I'm not there yet a lot of times. And that's that is the journey I'm slowly trying to move towards. Not not too fast, like we're talking about, because mm-hmm. I know that it's not going to be fixed in the day. But I, I feel like self-awareness is half the battle. And so for me, even the last two years through even some some therapy sessions, not official therapy, which is great, but just meeting with a really good spiritual counselor from my church named Brian Elliott, a wise old guy, it's made me more self-aware about myself than I've ever been. And so that's what I'm trying to do is to move towards that in my own life. Yeah, that's great. That's so important to be able to see those glimpses for what they really are as windows into this is a part of my life where I am not with God Hmm. in this moment. I'm not living that moment with God. So kind Hmm. of a, a, a sort of version of that story, but just trying to relate from my end a little bit to let you know you're not the only one that can snap into anger (laughs) with everything in quarantine. I have been biking a lot more. Mm -hmm. I have a road bike. The roads right around my town have a fair number of bike lanes. And so I'm doing road biking and I'm trying to go further and further. And when I'm biking, I just get into this complete me focused zone. It can be like a really (laughs) nice break from work stuff. But the one thing that you're always really afraid about when you're road biking is you're at times really close to traffic. Mm. Now, quarantine has been amazing because now rush hour like just belongs to the bikes. It's like we're taking over the world. It's pretty great. That's great. Wait, have you seen that Portlandia sketch where uh, Fred Armisen's riding around with his bike going, bicycle rights? I don't know if I have. I would love that. I love Portlandia. I'm going to send you a YouTube clip of that. But anyway, sorry. Continue. I'm excited for that. But as I am going around and as I'm riding, I'll have cars coming near me. And I'm always thinking about like, how safe is this road and all this different stuff? Because I just know that like in the battle of bike versus car, I'm going to lose. Like I just know that that's the case. And a couple days ago, I was going for a ride. And a lot of times there are roads where as you're approaching the light, the bike lane will kind of go away for a second and it'll just be joined with the turning lane. Okay. So I was in a spot where I'm just making a right turn. So I'm just following the curb. Like I'm off to the side. I know that this is fine. But when cars are making that right turn with you, normally they hang back a little bit. Mm. Like they kind of recognize you're doing physical work right now. And all I got to do is push a pedal slightly. So I'm going (laughs) to let you go first. Like you stay in your rhythm. I'm not going to disrupt your flow. And then once I know you're out of the way, like cars generally think it's their responsibility not to murder people. That's true. Which I think is a safe assumption across the board. It's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm just beginning a ride. I'm getting to this turn. I'm in one of those shared turn lanes and this like maroon, ugly looking van comes within like a foot of me on my left side, (laughs) just gets super close and just decides they're going to take the turn first And so they blow right by me and they end up making the turn and I'm now way behind them. And in my head, 
I was like, what can I throw at them? Like it's, I was so heated and like realistically looking back on it, I wasn't really in danger. Like they were just closer than I was comfortable with. It's not like I was really like about to get hit or something. They handled the turn responsibly, but just there was this little pocket within me of just like, I get to be mad at something. And you know how sometimes when you get to be angry, like it's a release. Yeah. You want to kind of feel that for a moment. Mm. I was realizing like, Sometimes like a lot of people are angry drivers, yeah. but they think yeah. that because it only happens when they're driving, they yeah. don't have anger problems. That's very true. That's very, very true. Like it only <laughs> happens in the car. So it's just these circumstances that do it to me. It's not who I actually am. Yeah. I am not an angry person. I just get road rage once in a while. It's fine. It's the car. Everybody gets road rage, right? Yeah. And, and I think we all to some degree get that, but we've got to recognize That's not just coming from the circumstances made me do it or the devil made me do it. That's coming from a, there's something deep within me where I'm not letting God live this with me. Like I started realizing when I go for bike rides, sometimes I'm even listening to like really good Christian podcasts, (laughs) but I'm not necessarily going for those rides with Jesus. They're a part of my life that are completely mine. Mm. And when I give myself a space where I say, this is just for me, this isn't for anybody else. I start seeing glimpses into who I really am. Yeah. And that can be, that can be really scary. Like Mm -hmm. we both pointed out, there's a Dallas Willard quote from his book, Renovation of the Heart, that is very pertinent to this, which is, he says, we live from our depths, most of which we do not understand. Mm -hmm. That is so good. I think both of those stories hit on that idea. We both had these reactions that we didn't realize those things were in us. Yeah. We didn't understand what makes us respond that way, Mm. but those things were there. And I think that's where going back to the whole idea of shalom, the problem with sin isn't that it's just stuff that God happens to not like. It's that it's stuff that messes with the way that things are supposed to be. So Mm. to go back to Cornelius Plantinga for a second, another quote from that book, he says, God hates sin, not just because it violates his law, but more substantively because it violates shalom, because Mm. it breaks the peace, because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. Mm. So it's easy for us to look at our quick reactions and be like, well, they did something that wasn't good to me. So I just responded to that instead of saying, no, if I'm putting more anger out into the world, I'm disrupting the kind of world that God wants to have. Hmm. What do you think the answer is there when we sin, we make a mistake, whether it's yelling at a lady for her dog or getting furious at cars when we're out riding our bike or whatever it is, um, fill in the blank listeners, whatever you deal with, what is the right path forward to move from disruption to going back to shalom in our life? If you could just give us a quick summary in your mind of, you know, how, how do we get there? Well, normally we think it's, I need to find a good action I'm going to do. So it'd be easy for me to imagine somebody hearing your dog story. And if they lived that story saying to themselves, the way I'm going to fix this is every time I go on a walk, I'm going to find one neighbor and I'm going to compliment them. <laughs> like and karma. Just, you know, yeah. It's like you're, you're doing penance for your, for your sin, right? Mm-hmm. 
it'd be mm. easy for me in my biking story to start thinking the way that I'm going to handle this is even though it slows me down, whenever I hit a moment where I'm going to be at a stop sign or where there's going to be a decision of do I go first or does a car go first, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to let the car go first. The real answer is to remember that despite the fact that sin disrupts shalom, God invites us back to it. And it all begins first with remembering that real spiritual thriving is about getting back to that right state with God, which will lead to us getting back to that right state with others. Mm, yeah, it's, it's like going to the well and taking the drink and getting filled up so then you can go and bring that water to others instead of just going around and you're just dry and you've got nothing to offer, but you're, you're trying, but you can't produce anything because you've got nothing in your system, right? Exactly. Exactly. To go back to Cornelius Plantinga one last time, he mm. says to be a responsible person is to find one's role in the building of Shalom, the rewebbing of God, humanity, and all creation in justice, harmony, fulfillment, and delight. To be a responsible person is to find one's own role and then funded by the grace of God to fulfill this role and to delight in it. Mm. So it's not just find your checklist and make sure you're getting those things done. Write down your sin areas and write three ways you're going to do the not sin. Instead, it's I need to recognize that the real root of this is that something is broken in the way that I relate with God. Mm. And I need to first make sure that that brokenness is fixed. Ooh, okay, okay. What's that one story in the Bible? I think it's David, right? David and Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. And what, is, what does David say to God? He says, against you and you alone have I sinned, right? Mm -hmm. Man, that's, that's what we need to be thinking. Like for me, yelling at the lady, it's not just I've sinned against that lady, I've sinned against God. I've disrespected one of his creations. I, I haven't taken the time to be filled with peace and shalom. So I'm just unleashing chaos into the world. And uh, man, like, and, and here's an analogy too that I'm thinking of is, so let's say, you know, you and I don't have kids, but, you know, imagine, you know, a home with a husband and a wife and kids. If the husband gets angry and blows up at his wife, and she's in tears, and then he yells at his kids, and they're in tears. If the husband then proceeds the next day to go to his kids and apologize to them and make things right with them, but he doesn't do that with his wife, there's not going to be peace in the home. Like, mm -hmm. you've got to go to the most important person in that relationship because everything else flows out of that. Like, if, if, <laughs> if you're fighting with your wife, but then you're trying to be good with your kids— there's still not shalom in the house. And so there's going to be chaos that flows out of the broken dysfunction of that core relationship into all the other relationships in the house. And so that's what's going through my mind. It's like, yeah, a lot of times we think we just have problems with other people, but really we have a problem with God. Really, we're wrestling with God. We're frustrated with God. We're not truly believing and trusting that God is who he says he is in our lives. It's like we're becoming functional atheists at times. And we say we believe in God, but then really we're stressed about money or our future mm -hmm. or our job. And so in those micro moments, we're, we're acting like atheists, like we don't actually believe that God is who he says he is and that he's in control. So, yeah, man, that's 
over the past two years. Like we've talked about our experiences and and moving and the challenges. I've had so many of those atheist moments and it's brought me over and over again to a place where once I make things right with God, that's when everything else in my life starts falling into place. Not that the problems go away and that they're fixed, but my view of the problem becomes so much more centered and, and, and I feel so much more peace, I guess. You start seeing what the problem actually is, I think is what it comes down to. It, if we don't come all the way back to we need to fix what's broken in our relationship with God, we're only fixing the symptoms of the sickness. We're not dealing with the root of the sickness. So going all the way back to that image of the tree bearing fruit, and we think that that's what thriving is when really the root system is what creates thriving. If we just look at a tree and try to add more fruit to it, I know Mm -hmm. one of the pastors that I grew up with, he always used the term fruit stapling. (laughs) What a lot of people try to do is they try to take fruit and just staple it to a tree and say, Mm -hmm. look, there's fruit on it now. So the tree must be alive. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying the fruit isn't coming out the way that I want it to, how do I fix what's going on at the roots? How do I fix where the life source is really coming from? Because if I fix that, then... I'll be able to do some rewebbing of God with humanity and with all creation. But I can't do any of that if I don't reweb myself yeah. to life in God. That's good. That's good. And, and going back to, so that idea of self-improvement that we talked about in the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. all of, all of this stuff we've been wrestling through over the past couple of weeks Um, just thinking through the discontentment that's come up in the whole quarantine thing. You know, currently for me, where God has me is my self-improvement is not actually striving to do more, but it's doing, it's doing less. It's actually to scale myself back because I've realized I have kind of this tendency when it comes to ministry stuff, especially to become a workaholic because that's what I care about. Like if I was Jim Halpert working at Dunder Mifflin selling paper, you know, I'd be packing up my bags at 4.45 to head out the door. But I've been lucky, like you, to be in a space, you know, working in ministry for, you know, for me, most of my 20s and now into my 30s. I'm very blessed to be passionate about what I do. I know a lot of people don't have that privilege, but I'm, I'm passionate about what I do. So I want to put everything I have into it. But I've seen negative effects on my mental, physical and spiritual health when I just when I just go for it without taking time to get filled up and when I just overdo it. Like, I don't know if, if, if you relate to this, but I find myself at times constantly just trying to do things for God, but not really spending as much time with him as I should. I've been motivated to spend more time at my desk trying to produce content instead of taking time to exercise my body and improve my health or be more intentional in my marriage or to spend time just sitting and resting at the feet of Jesus. In, in, in my life, there's a lot of times where I think if I can just get back to that desk and do a little bit more, everything will be better. Mm-hmm. No, I completely relate to that. And mm-hmm. sometimes we can get to the point of thinking if everything is just about, I've got to do stuff for God, then you can eat, reach the dangerous point where I know I've hit this a few different times in life where time with God is the thing getting in my way of time spent doing stuff for God. Mm. And it just becomes this dangerous cycle of then the only thing in my relationship with God is look at the stuff I'm doing for you. And I can just imagine him off in a corner being like, but all I want is to be friends. What are you doing? You're completely missing what I have for you. Yeah. And, and I think too, back when I worked at 
the church, Calvary Vista, there were weeks where there were weeks where I had so many things planned out, but I, I mean, I'll just be honest. I, I wasn't every week praying over my to-do list and saying, God, is this what you want me to do? It was just like, this is on the list. It needs to get done. These are the, these this, are the tasks. Mm-hmm. This is what happens this week. And then there'd be weeks where I'd have like a holy interruption where like somebody would show up in my office with a crisis or they need help or encouragement. And it would take a huge chunk out of my week and I wouldn't get to do the things that I wanted. But I would get this sense from the Lord where he was like, this is really what I want you to do this week. Mm -hmm. Like just being with this person, loving on this person. Yes, it pushes all the tasks for this week and this month back further. But this is what I have for you. And that's just been a huge eye opener for me is our plan and agenda. I mean, it's fine to plan, but I mean, the scripture itself says that you know, God is the true planner. He's the one who can uproot our plans and that's okay. And we need to be fine with that to not to just be lazy. Like we should not just be sitting around our house, just waiting for God to drop things in our lap to do. We should be doing things, but we should be, that's been the biggest thing for me is an openness mm-hmm. to hold everything in my life open-handed instead of closed where I say, I've got this stuff in my hands, but if you want to change it or move it around, please do so. That's so good. That's so, so good. Because it, it speaks to a couple of the shifts that I see through this mapping out the idea of shalom that happens to what we think about spiritual thriving. It becomes a lot less action-based and a lot more relationally based. So you can have your whole to-do list, and it's easy to think that if something interrupts that, if your idea of spiritual thriving is getting the right actions done, then you can think that that interruption is taking you out of thriving, Mm, where really the idea is whatever comes our way, if we walk through it with God from Mm. a steady relationship with him, and then we try to bring that steadiness to the people around us, whatever tasks come and go, God gets to decide that as long as we can, like, I'm at the point now where what I really want to be able to say at the end of a week was I spent the whole week with God, Mm. not just I got the stuff done that I wanted to get done. And that acknowledges the reality that you can spend time with God outside of your devotions. Like he is at the desk mm-hmm. with you at work. He is at the dinner table with you. He's he's at the couch when you're watching TV with your wife. He's everywhere. But are we are we tapping into that reality? And and we're so I feel like driven to feel like it only counts to spend time with Jesus when it's this very intentional time set mm-hmm. aside. And if we miss it, then we've missed out on Jesus for the day. And he's like, oh, you missed the window, but try again next the next day, you know? Yeah, like God only has an opening from 8 to 8.30 in the morning. And that's the only time he can pencil you in. And that's not what we've he's got a doing. Zoom. We've got to do a Zoom meeting with God at a specific time. <laughs> and be the worst. Imagine a yeah. meeting with God where everybody's fumbling over whether or not their microphone is unmuted. And and God just has, for some reason, the worst Wi-Fi connection. So he's just super choppy. <laughs> well, he's really far away. So the second big way that this shifts things is it turns spiritual thriving away from being a quick fix you need to accomplish and turns it into a way of being and living in the world. So spiritual thriving is not something that you can say in 30 days, I've accomplished it because thriving, I think is something we can shift in and out of based on how deliberate we're being about living every moment with God. It's not just about adding another goal 
It's about asking God, hey, will you walk with me through all the different things that I need to do? Will you show me how my life can contribute to shalom for the world around me and how you want to create that even within me? That's what yeah. spiritual thriving really is. And you can do that for years and then fall out of that way of thinking. It's not something you'll be able to say, I've checked the box and now I thrive. Can I really quick, before we get into the application, just give an illustration of this? Sure. Because I just want to make it really relatable, okay? If you're a Christian listening to this, you probably grew up like me thinking that the person in your church who was thriving the most spiritually was your, your pastor, the guy at the top. Like because he is the most thriving, he is in that highest position and he's teaching all of us to follow his example and thrive the way he does. But I think, Brian, you can tell me if you think this is wrong to say, but I don't think it is. I think if you have a church senior pastor and a church janitor, and let's say that senior pastor is just constantly go, 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 do, do, do. He's not spending time with Jesus just to spend time with him. It's always about getting something that can be used. He's cranky. He's irritable. He's frustrated at his family. He's frustrated at his staff. He just, he never feels content. It's always about just doing more and being more. And then you have the church janitor who maybe he is just very content and he spends time with Jesus just because he's friends with Jesus and he has a peace in his heart and he does his janitor job and maybe he leads a home group discussion or something on the weekends. And that's really the full extent of what is coming out of him ministry-wise. He's loving his family. He's loving his kids. And there's just this peace about him. I think we look at the pastor and the janitor and we can say that janitor is spiritually thriving more than the pastor, even though from the outside, it seems like more fruit is being produced because the pastor has his hands in so many pots. This is not a shot at saying pastors are less spiritual than janitors. I'm just saying Don't believe a stereotype where I have to be this kind of person to be spiritually thriving. You can be a janitor, you can be a plumber, you can be an accountant and spiritually thrive. It's not about what you're doing. It's about are you rooted in that source of peace that is then going to produce whatever amount of fruit God wants you to, not as much as you want, but as much as he wants, really. Absolutely. I I think that illustration is dead on. I think a question that we can kind of ask ourselves to help us see what spiritual thriving might look like for us is if everyone lived with the habits that I'm developing, would that be better for the world? Mm. Because if you look at those senior pastor habits that you were talking about in that example, the guy who's just super cranky and always thinking about what more could they do if the whole world lived that way, that would create more chaos, more trouble, more sin, more disruption to shalom. But if everyone lived like your illustration of the janitor, taking care of things at home, being a loving husband and father, caring for a small group of people around him spiritually, always responding out of the peace that he has from the Lord, we can clearly say if more people lived that way, the world would be more in line with what God's idea of shalom is for the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So to wrap up this episode, let's just practically do some Andy Dean style application here. Here are Um, seven ways you can apply. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't know what number. Seven things you have to do to become (laughs) more full of shalom. I love it. Just kidding. What do you think, Brian? What do you got? I think first, when we think about how can we spiritually thrive in this whole situation, it starts with 
don't just add another goal. Instead, ask what are the parts of your life where you find you're not experiencing shalom? Mm. Identify Mm. those areas because most likely those are the areas where you're living on your own, not living rooted in the life source of God. Mm. Because it can very easily become, I'm just going to read my Bible a bunch more. And that's a great thing. I'm all for more Bible reading. But if God is only with you in your Bible reading time and you're not finding ways of inviting him into your time where you're working from home or into that time where you're resting at the end of the day, we're still going to find that these pockets of disruption are still going to be there. So find the places where you need to invite God into those areas of life. That's good. One of my practical applications would just be listen to the Holy Spirit when he's calling you to rest. Resist the urge to just continue to kill yourself for the things that you want to accomplish and just listen to what he's telling you. Like my experience of overworking myself during the time we were launching the Good Lion Podcast Network, it it totally speaks to this in my life because, you know, I remember I was taking off time from my web design job my, my freelance work just to focus on trying to build the good line website, which already elevated things where it's like, I need to get this done ASAP so I can go back to work. And it just felt like weeks of overworking myself and constantly thinking about website code and WordPress plugins and trying to problem solve bugs and errors just so we could launch the site in the time frame that we wanted to. And I remember literally waking up in the middle of the night, shaking, being so stressed about all of it. And the problem is work, I was working hard, but I was impatient and I wanted things to be done on my timetable and I wasn't seeking the Lord enough. I wasn't trusting that it's him helping me and not just myself doing it. Um, John Mark Comer in his book, God Has a Name, says often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is like a mirror into the soul. It shows us what's deep inside. And I just realized that during that time period, I'm, I'm stressing out so much because I wasn't believing who God says he was. I was thinking, I, I am the one who will make this thing happen. And if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And I needed to preach to myself a message of truth that God is with me in this. He wants this to happen. If I trust him and just continue to, to work at a good, normal pace, it's going to happen but I was just trying to, I was just burning myself out. And so that, that would be my advice is like, listen to the spirit and preach to yourself that Jesus is in control, that he's with you, that he loves you and that you don't need to die for anything because Jesus already died for you. Like we don't, we don't have to kill ourselves for, you know, the work we want to accomplish. Jesus is already doing that work in the world. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And I would just add one more thing. Give yourself more time to reach the level you want to reach. Mm. You may be looking at areas of your life and saying, this area is not a place where I'm thriving. This is not an area where I'm letting God in. I need to have this settled by Friday. And that's just not how things are normally going to work. Growth with God is a slow process. It's a matter of Mm. trusting him over time. And I love you use the quote, I think it was a few episodes ago, long obedience in the same direction. That's what Mm -hmm. faithfulness to God is all about. This is all about building a new way of life. Spiritual thriving is unlearning who you are through sinful tendencies and relearning who God has made you to be. Don't put yourself on a super tight timeline for it. Instead Mm -hmm. of thinking about achieving and moving on to the next thing, 
think instead in terms of progressing and continuing to move towards the same goal of being more and more like Christ, more integrated as a person, more in the shalom that he would have for you. Because the opposite, the alternative is just burnout. That's, I mean, that is Mm -hmm. in any sphere that you're in, that is the reality of what will happen is you will burn yourself out. You'll become bitter. You'll become discontent. You'll become cranky and you'll become angry that your dreams and your goals for your life aren't being realized. And I love, this is a, a quote from Parker Palmer, but he says, burnout is a state of emptiness to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. That's so good. That's so good. And that's what it comes down to. It's remembering we are nothing and that sin has made us nothing. And yet God in his love and his grace wants to walk us out of that nothing and into the wholeness that comes from beautiful relationship with him. Not try to work your way back towards me. Instead, it's, I know you're nothing, but I'm going to give my all for you and I'm going to give you everything so that you don't have to be stuck in that nothingness. You can experience real life, real joy, real peace, all that comes completely rooted in me. It's mm, good. And that's, it's so encouraging to hear because for me, it's just a matter of trust. Like if, if I'm supposed to be the carpenter and build the house, I'm so stressed. But if I'm just a hammer and the carpenter is building through me and using all the other tools in the toolkit together, I can just rest and just let him use me. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to find that shalom and that rest and just sit back and let God use me however he wants to use me from day to day or week to week. And I'm not fully there yet, but I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I feel like this is something I struggle with, you struggle with, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. And so I think it's an important one to have. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. We hoped that today's conversation on spiritual thriving isn't adding more to your plate, but instead is showing you how resting in Jesus leads to the kind of life that he wants us to have. Yeah, man, such good conversation. I was so blessed by it. I would love to continue to have more like it. If you like these conversations, if you like our show, take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It helps so much. And the more reviews we get, the more people are going to find this show. So if you want to help, go to iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from our listeners, and we would love to do more episodes focused specifically on listener questions. So if you have a question about anything you heard in this episode or in other episodes or just other things that are on your mind that you think would be great for us to talk about on the show, feel free to send us emails. You can email us at goodlionnetwork at gmail.com or you can find us on Instagram and just direct message us at goodlion.io. Yeah, we actually have a group chat full of fans of the show who give us input and ask questions. And a lot of times we incorporate those questions into the show. So if you want to be a part of that group chat, send us an email or a message and let us know. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network and it's produced by Aaron Salvato and myself. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters. We're all making content that is Christ-centered. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content 
content that helps them walk closer with Jesus. We hope that this episode helped you do that. And if you'd like to support what we're doing, please visit goodlion.io slash support. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you never because we're a podcast. Thank you.